Are you blessed? It is an honor for me to stand here. Um, I come in the name of the Lord and not in any of my strength to share a word that has been close to my heart and I pray that you receive it in the same weight and even greater than I have. Let us pray. Merciful God, we thank you for the honor of standing before you and coming before you, Lord. I pray that our hearts will be open, our minds will be sharp to hear your voice above every other noise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Turn with me. How many have their Bibles? You have your Bible. I'm seeing phones. Eh? Am I, it's my eyes that are fooling me. Whichever Bible you have, whether it's the hard copy or the iBible, uh, kindly turn to... We'll be reading through three scriptures. And... Um, I'd like us to stay a lot. The first one is a bit long, but kindly bear with me. Once we begin to unveil it, you should be able to understand a lot more. Let's start with Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. And our, our, our study today or our sharing today, I'm calling the scars that redeem. The scars that redeem. And may the Lord bless us as we listen to his word. Amen. Amen. Hosea chapter 2. Hosea is a book that's fascinating. We know it's about a prophet who was asked to marry a, a, a promiscuous woman. And uh, chapter 2 lays out a good summary of what the Lord was trying to prove in asking the prophet to do this. Uh, verse 2, Plead with your mother. I'm going to try and read as fast as I can. Um, so kindly try and follow. Plead with your mother, for she is not my wife. I am not her husband. That she put away her hollow tree from her face and her adultery from her breast, lest I strip her naked and leave her as in the day that she was born and turn her into a wilderness and turn her into a dry land and kill her with thirst. I will not have mercy upon her children for they are children of hollow tree for their mother has played the whore. She that conceived them has acted shamefully for she said, I will pursue my lovers who provide my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Verse 6, therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and make a wall so that she will not find her path. Verse 7, she will pursue her lovers, but she will not reach them and she will seek them but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. Verse 8, But she did not know that it was I who provided the grain, the, wa the wine, and the oil, and multiplied her silver and her gold that she, she used for Baal. Verse 9, Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. Therefore, I will uncover her shame in the sight of her lovers and no one will deliver her from my hand. Verse 11, I will also bring to an end all her joy, her annual feasts, her new moons and her baths, Sabbaths, and all her solemn assemblies. I will destroy her vineyards, her vines and her fig trees for which, of which she has said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field will eat them. I will pour, I'll punish her for the days of the Baals 
when she burnt incense to them and adorned herself with earrings and jewels and pursued her lovers, but forgot me, declares the Lord. Verse 14, Therefore I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. For there I will give her vineyards. I'll give her vineyards to her and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. She will respond there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. On that day, declares the Lord, I will call, you will call me my husband and will no longer call me my Baal. I will remove the names of the Baals from your mouth and they will no longer be remembered by their names. Verse 18, on that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and with the creeping things of the ground. I will break the bow and the sword and the battle of the earth. I will make them to lie down safely. I will take you for my wife forever. I will take you for my wife in righteousness and justice and in mercy and in compassion. Verse 20, I will take you for my wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. Verse 21, on that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they will answer the earth. The earth will answer the grain and the wine and the oil and they will answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy upon Loreham, and I will say, Lo, Ami, you are my people, and they will say, You are my God. Are we still together? I read through it because I don't want to assume that all of us has, have read this chapter. It's very easy for us to just say, let's look at verse 15. And you have no idea the context we're talking about. So bear with me in the lengthy reading. Let's quickly go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul says, for now, for now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Keep that in mind. For now, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. In the Roman times, or in the Greek, the way a soldier was kind of ranked, it was based on the scars that they bore. So you'd have to tell the story of every scar on your body. And based on how much danger you've endured, you became a general. You could literally take over an army without necessarily going through the ranks. Today, what we have is badges. We call them medals. Yeah? Based on the number of medals that a soldier has, we, we know that this is a general, this is a lieutenant, isn't it? But there was a time where the scars alone spoke. And that's why when, when Paul is talking about, for now let no one trouble me, for I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He's talking about something that I'd like to relate to us today. Are we still together? Stay with me. I'll try to tie it properly. Now, when we look at the story of Goma, Goma is Hosea's wife. And uh, she has done all manner of halotry. But the Lord is showing something that, that he has a plan. The plan is to cut off her supply so that he can get her attention. There are so many times, and I'll keep this simple, there are so many times that we cry out, Lord, stop this fire. Isn't it? Not knowing that this fire is supposed to send us 
to the wilderness. So that we will say, I will go back to my first husband. To my first husband. I will go back to my first husband. That is a time when we cry out and we think that there are so many times when we have challenges. So many times when we have struggles and we ascribe them to the devil. Oh, the devil is stealing my... And how many times do we pray here? Let's pray for our enemies. La, ba, 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 ba. And at that time, we don't know that there's another angle to this pain. There's another angle to this madness around you. Could it be that the Lord himself is pulling the rag from under your feet? No one would tell you that. Of course, it's the devil. It's been said that he many times sits around crying because people blame him for things he hasn't even done. How many times do we come close to victory? How many times do we cry out to God and we think we have it and then we don't? One of the things that amazes me about parenting is you have a lot. You know, your children will ask, please buy me a sweet. A sweet is what? Five shillings? Even for two shillings you can get a sweet. But sometimes you refuse. You could, you could decide to buy a whole packet of sweets. Or you could decide to buy one. You could have them both and decide, even though I have a whole packet of sweets, I will give her half a sweet. I will not give her access to the entire packet. Why? Why won't you give the child the entire packet of sweets? Hmm? They'll get sick. Hmm? People are touching things that they have scars to show for it. Yeah? <laughs> They'll get sick. They don't have the self-control to say one sweet is enough for today. They will want to consume everything. They will want to take everything and fall sick. There are many prayer requests in here. And sometimes fewer thanksgivings in the big one. It can be overflowing with things peeping here. Eh? Why? Because we want, we want, we want. But what we haven't understood is that the Lord needs to work something in us. Before you can receive that big job, does he have your heart? Or will that job become another husband? Before you can receive that promotion, before you can expand that business, does he have your heart? How many times do we take the gift that he has given to us and draw jewels? You know how Goma keeps saying, these are the rewards that my, my lovers have given to me, isn't it? From our gifts we get many things, many things like the praise of men, the access to a job without an interview. I mean, you could smile your way to the reception and she'll say, I like your hair. Just go in. What have you used? At his favor. God favored me. Are you sure? As you, were, <laughs> as you were standing before that counter, it wasn't the favor of God that you were calling on. You were counting on your face. Ladies. Okay, I do that a lot. I don't know about you. Hello. And she'll be like, Maybe she knows me from somewhere, you know, <laughs> and to keep her reputation, she gives me access. What did I use? I used my gift to gain access. I used a smile or psychology, call it whatever. But I didn't stand there and say, Lord, open this door for me. But when I show up, I say, the Lord opened a way, isn't it? Which is not bad, but can we, can we draw that line and make it clear? How many times do I sing loudly? And this I'm sharing from real conviction. You can hit notes, Mr. Mnene, like, <laughs> and the glasses break. You know? And it wasn't really in honor of the Lord. It was the ears here that have become a husband at the altar. How many times do you dress up? And I'm not condemning them. How many times do you pull out that shoe? You walk in church. Eh? See, we've come. It's a holy ground. 
you're almost going mm, as you walk from the door to your seat. It's holy ground, but also it's an opportunity to show it off. If you walk too quickly, you'll reach the seat quickly before they see the new. Am I talking to someone? How many times do we delight in the compliments of men? How many times do we kill ourselves to sing beautifully, to make sure the notes are in line? If anyone in the congregation fringes and worshipped him, this is for you. You're like, oh my God, we did not do so well. By whom? By them? Or by him? We've been raised to evaluate our value based on what they say. But here the Lord is calling us, like Goma, to abandon these husbands. To stop coming to the altar to collect jewels only to take them to your husband. You ask me, how do I do that? I come to the altar. Allow me to use singing because it's a gift that seems to be working right now. I learn how to sing beautifully. Next thing you know, I am a hit but a secular artist. How many times have we seen people use the church to climb then at a certain level, deviate to something else. You're like, wasn't that guy in church? Yeah, I thought, eh, maybe he looks like him. You can't even recognize that he was the same face at the altar. How do you think that makes him feel? How many times do we come, and this one I'm going to pinch people, including myself, to the altar for prophecy? And prayer. And, and people who pray that you have money. And you want money. Don't we all want money? Who doesn't want money? We all want money. Everyone wants money. But money is a competition between God and the money. Money was meant to be a means. Not to be the God. Instead of praying, Lord, give me 40,000. To pay rent, you should be praying, Lord, give me rent. Such that when your rent is paid, with or without the 40,000, you still know the prayer was answered. But if it took you being evicted and then people collecting money and getting money for rent, and then you come back to the house, you don't think God answered that prayer. Why? Because you wanted the 40K here. Am I communicating? Is there a, 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 a thing that we have been... The Bible talks about us perishing for lack of knowledge. The knowledge that God answers prayer. Whether it's the way we want or the way he chooses to, the prayer has been what? Answered. Can we be comfortable with that? Recently, a young lady asked me a question. Aren't you afraid of giving your heart to Jesus? He will ask you to do crazy things. How many have that fear? No, we'll pray together. At least I have one disciple. How many have that fear? That God will ask you to do crazy things like what? Give up your car? You don't want to walk again? You know, he'll ask you to give your shop as an offering and stay at the altar for 40 days. Who wants that? So we've painted a picture of him as this grabbing thing. Isn't it? Hmm? This grabber who takes things and gives them to only the ministers of God. But when we come, we want him to give us those things. If you want the other end of that, of the receiving, of receiving that gift, wouldn't you pray, Lord, send my destiny helpers. Somebody say destiny helpers, you know? And we are so excited at the sound of such things. So we don't really come because we are in love with him. Brothers and sisters, the Lord wants your heart. He has no problem making you the best artist in the country. He has no problem making you the boutique that everyone goes to. He has no problem giving you that restaurant. But does he have your heart? Is it that when you come, 
and he gives you these things, he will lose you forever. So these things have become husbands. These things have become distractions. These things have become, they make us lose focus. They make us lose focus on who, what the, tr- the real heart of this relationship is about. Then you ask me, how will I have? How, how, how do I? I've given him my heart. Haven't we all given him our heart? Oh, we've given and given. How much more does he want? Oh, he wants more. He wants more. He wants you to be okay with never becoming the best boutique as long as you have him. He wants you to be okay with never having the restaurant as long as you have him. He wants you to be okay with never being the best musician in the country, but you're content with having him. Then, I like what he talks about. In verse, back in Hosea, let's go back to Hosea. Verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14, Hosea, chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. From there, I will give her vineyards. Remember, in verse 9, from uh, say about verse 8, the Bible talks about the Lord taking away her vine. Isn't it? Okay? But after he has had the sweet alluring in verse 14, he talks about giving her what? Vineyards. What did he take? He took a vine. Are we together? He took a vine. He gives her back a vineyard. He gives her a valley of Akka as the door of hope. Where he talks about taking away her joy. But now he gives her a, a a whole entrance to hope. It's not, it's not one that comes just at a moment. He gives her an everlasting hope. He gives her an everlasting joy. He gives, him, he gives her much more than what he took from you. So to answer your question, doesn't serving the Lord take more from you? No. It gives you more. It gives you more. That's the lie of the devil that he will take from you. Why? Because we are looking at a moment. We are looking at it right now. Yes, you might use matatu for a couple of days. That transition can be something. But you can get a whole fleet of cars then wonder what to do with them. And you're holding on to this one car. God punish the devil. Yeah, so there's so many things that the Lord is willing to give to us. And then verse 15 says, She will respond there in the days of her youth and in the day when she came up out of Egypt. On that day, declares the Lord, she will call me my husband. In this scripture, the Lord is talking about, actually verse verse 18. Let's quickly go to verse 18. On that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air. The scope of the Lord's blessing has increased. I don't know if you've noticed. Are we together? Am I moving too fast? No? Teenagers? Children? Are we together? Nudge your neighbor. Say, don't stumble the preacher. We're enjoying the sermon. Wake up. Amen, amen. So in verse 18 it says, On that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of the heavens, with the creeping things of the ground. I will break the bow and the sword and battle the earth. I will make them to lie down safely. I will take you for my wife forever. I will make you my wife in righteousness. I will take you for my wife in faithfulness, declares the Lord. He is making a covenant that is not just based on the vineyard that you have. He's making a covenant that calls, he's the Lord of the earth, isn't it? He doesn't deal in just one. 
So that wherever you go on the earth, the fowls of the heavens will always favor you. Wherever you go on the earth, the beasts of the field will always favor you. There will not be anything that will be held from you. Why? Because you and him are one. What is that thing that you've been asking God for? Whether it's a business, whether it's family, whether it's a relationship, put him in perspective and watch if he won't provide for it. We make very selfish prayers because we just want me, 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 me. Lord, fix me, make me comfy, pamper me. But we don't say that. We say, oh, Father of heaven. Of course, we pray with all our hearts and this juicy word. But at the heart of it, when you see it, what is left? What is left in that prayer? Is it let your kingdom come and your will be done? If your kingdom comes, well and good. If your will be done, even better. But please, provide the car. How centered is the Lord in your vision? That's the question I'm asking. How centered is the Lord in your vision? Paul talks about cars. Paul talks about cars. There are things that Paul has had to give up to get to where he is. He was a, a member of the Sanhedrin, right? He could have been the greatest speaker or physician or whatever was the juiciest thing to do in his day, but he surrenders it for the cross. There are many of us here who are gifted. Recently, somebody approached me and said, what are you doing in church? And they meant well, really, really well. But it opened up wounds of questioning whether you're wasting time at the altar when you should be making money in the UN. Speak for the president. Speak for some lousy politician. Do something with your life. Why? Because that's what counts. But for how long will that platform last if he doesn't give it to me? All power and authority in heaven and on earth have been given to who? To him. To Jesus. You can have the power, but you don't have the authority. Authority is the platform that will, the Lord will open for you. So that you don't have to maintain it by sleeping with the boss or paying bribes if you get it for yourself, you work really hard to maintain it. He has so much more to give. But people are very impatient. Many times we look at the gifts we have as a means to our excellence, to our excelling, isn't it? There's a, a scripture that really touched my heart as I thought about this. The, the lady who broke the alabaster jar at the feet of Jesus. What did they say? That's wasted, isn't it? That's such a waste. That's a, a year's wage, isn't it? Like, like a salary for a whole year poured at the feet of a man, dusty man, who is not even paying attention to you. He's talking to the Pharisee. Go read that scripture. He's talking to the Pharisee. And everyone is whispering. What is she doing? Of course, Judas Iscariot is the maddest. What kind of nonsense is this? A lot of us are going to have to break our alabaster jar at his feet. We're going to have to surrender our possibility of success in music at his feet. We're going to have to surrender our possibility of being the richest person by doing dodgy business at his feet. The things that we think are so valuable to us, he's calling for them. What did that lady get in return? The Bible says this lady, Jesus said, she'll never be forgotten. Do you remember that? We're working so hard to have a legacy. We're working so hard for people to remember. You don't remember that lady? She was on TV, she was in social media. Then you think she's successful. But this lady's legacy has gone beyond social media. 
you're still reading about her. And you read about her again tomorrow because you find another preacher who will make a reference to her in a different angle. But she will always be at the center. That is what the Lord wants to do with us. Who are these husbands that are taking your attention? Who are these lovers that make you come and steal jewels from the altar? Steal blessings? You know, God is, is, is so faithful. He's so kind that if you do things right, you still get the reward, isn't it? You still get it, whether your motive is shaky. There's an access you have. But you take that to enrich somebody else. How about we be ready to break that jar at the altar? Whether or not people praise us, then we will have no problem kneeling down to worship him. We lift him above our, our understanding of reputation. We lift him above our understanding of class or whatever it is that is blocking our minds from giving ourselves fully. Today I call us to a place where those scars those things that you do that make you feel like you're dying inside. Those are scars that are redeeming you for a more everlasting reward. He died on the cross for a more everlasting reward. He could have died for the twelve. But he decided to die for all of them. He could have died for the Israelites alone. But he decided to die for all of them. All of them. He has set so many examples in the Bible to tell us there's a danger. You can be so close to the well and still be thirsty. Talks to the lady with the, the many husbands. Even the one you have is not your husband. Why? These other husbands will give you gifts. A temporary reward like the applaud of men. Like money for a long time. Like rent for a year. You say hallelujah. But you still need rent in the next year. You still need health in the next year. They have their benefits. I don't deny that. But he's calling us for a more everlasting. So that you're not worried. The way I keep thinking about Jesus. Not worrying about taxes. Because there's a fish somewhere swimming with the, the taxes. For us, we want to have it in our pockets. If it was possible, we would walk around with all the money so that we never ever have to feel like we don't have money. The money for today, for tomorrow, for next week's problem, give it to me now. And throw faith out the door. That he's calling us to a place of faith. That's a hard place. That's a hard place. Where you walk out of here, You've given your last 50 shillings. But you're not worried. Why? Because you walk out with him. The one who owns cattle on a thousand hills. You walk out with him. The one who gives health. The one that is the bread of life. Can he be enough? Can he be enough? If he was enough, we wouldn't need the other husbands. once in a while we sneak off and have an affair. Teenagers, hallelujah. The Lord bless you. I'll not spare anyone. You must learn these things. Amen? Amen. Or am I out of order? I'm covered by my husband. Eh? I'm covered by my husband. Any, any, any reproach you have, Direct there. Who prayed for me here? Did you see me bringing myself? Huh? I was invited. Huh? And covered in prayer. On a light note. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the pain of righteousness. I'm talking about the pain of staying with him. Where you decide I will not bribe these men. Then you end up in a cell. Locked with handcuffs. You can't believe you're being dragged away. It happened to someone in this room. And I had to bail him out. And I'm not saying. 
But why? Because you refuse to pay a bribe. You refuse to, to, to stoop to the world system. You refuse to be politically correct. If it is wrong, it is. How far are we willing to go for him? It will give us scars. It will give us scars. That I'm telling you. But as it does that, it will redeem you. It will redeem you. There's a scripture I want us to look at. In Hebrews, let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse, let's start from verse 9. Hebrews 13, verse 9. Do not be carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. It is a good thing that the heart be strengthened with grace, not with foods which have profited those who have been occupied with them. Then verse 10 is my key verse. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to it. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tabernacle have no right to eat. In the olden days, the priests were supposed to eat from the altar, isn't it? Yes, you have to eat something. But Paul is talking about an altar where those who serve have no right to eat. That takes the sacrifice to another level. It's not so much the benefit that you get. It's not so much the reward that you get. It's the reverence with which you handle the Lord. What if you preach and nobody gets saved? Nobody brings an offering. What is that to you? It's the Lord's work anyway. Yours was to do what? Show up and preach. What if the gift you carry does not bring out the benefit that the world expected? She's a great speaker. She should be. By the time she dies, they should be reading how she, she, she had a speech at the UN and had a speech for the vice president. You know, it's like those accolades are what make the gift sensible. What if all he ever wanted from you was that one worship song at the altar? Why do we think that the Lord wants the people who are just... Why does, why, why do we, why does it pain us when the Lord gets gifted people? Does it pain you when the Lord gets gifted people? Imagine she only served in church. A small church, see, as I even a thousand people, like three, one fifty, forty. Just a beautiful gift. Doesn't the Lord deserve that gift? Why do we want the preachers or whoever, whoever serves or sweeps or whatever capacity you serve in, in the church to be the people who have not made it in school? Am I hitting some strongholds? Lord, bring them down. Hmm? Have not made it in school, don't have money. Why should the priests be like that? Huh? Why? The Bible talks about choice offerings. One without blemish and wrinkle. If you think you're too good for the church, then you're perfect as a sacrifice. Because when he's done breaking you, oh, you'll sing hallelujah. And I'm not scaring you. Am I scaring you? Yes, I like some honesty. Scars that redeem. So that when you get that power, you don't lose it. It doesn't get to your head. So that when he opens that door, you're not overwhelmed by the cameras. You're not overwhelmed by the money that you get. Your paycheck comes in, you get that SMS on your phone. And you still walk the way you used to walk when you were broke. Nothing changed. Why? Because you've been fortified on the inside. 
because you know this this is a means to ministry now i can i can i can help more widows now i i can build that orphanage i can i can add some do we think like that or like hallelujah i saw that shoe on that facebook page it's about time i got myself two pairs one in black one in brown or yellow let's make it dramatic do we ever really think about his heart? Are we coming to the altar to ask for things because we want to expand his kingdom? Because if we do, then for vineyards, for vines he'll give us vineyards. Then he'll make a covenant that only gives you, not only gives you access to the, the beasts within your area, the beasts of the earth. Meaning, wherever you go, you will never run out. You don't have to walk around with bags of money, but you know you have a covenant. That's the password. Always. Always. How many are willing to take more scars for him? We look at scars as bad things, isn't it? There's a good side. There's a good side to the sacrifice you're making. There's a good side to the prayers you're making. There's a good side to everything you're doing in his name. Because then it works more and more and more faithfulness in you. Then the old man dies. How is it that the same Jesus on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the same body was changed? To tell you that who you are right now can be different with just the touch of God. The more access we give Him, the more meaning we get. We were not created to pursue money, we were created to be facilitated by money. We were not created to pursue jewels, those were supposed to be adornments like. And afterthought, let me throw in this. You know how the Mamamboga throws in one Kaskumawiki thing just to say thank you for buying? Oh, nya nya. Oh, you haven't mastered how to get that kawan also. You say, oh, these are such good tomatoes. She said, I'm sorry, I don't know what The things we pursue are things that God is willing to give us. But what he wants is our heart. Why don't we bow our heads and pray? We open our hearts to you, O Lord. Open your mind to him. This message is shared not from a place of condemnation, but a place of love. A place of a lover calling out and saying, if I give you this, will you abandon me? Will you think that you've gotten it by your own strength? Will you think that your gift is sufficient to sustain your legacy? Will you think that where you are is because of the strength of your hand? He longs to be intimate with you. He longs to be the only thing that matters. He longs to be the lifter of your head. He longs to be the supplier. He longs to be enough. Come and open your heart to him. Lord, we repent of not understanding what these things do to you. We repent of seeking after the gift and not the giver. We repent of being distracted by the sound and the noise of the accolades of those around us and not minding that you left the room a long time ago. We come, Lord, to say, our hearts are here. Our hearts are here, Lord. I pray that you perfect your word in our hearts today. I pray that you perfect your word in our hearts, my God. Perfect it, Almighty One. Take us to those areas in our lives where we need to change. 
where we bear marks for you, Lord. That we might say yes to you. That we might say yes to you. Because we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. Surrender is the greatest wisdom you can give to yourself. Surrender. Surrender is such a a beautiful piece of wisdom. Some of you have gone to the slaughterhouse and you've seen how they drag sheep and goats to go to the slaughter. And how much they struggle for something that is not going to help. The word shared this afternoon, I mean this evening, is a prophetic word. You may not understand it yet, but when that moment comes for you to surrender, just surrender. The greatness of life is not what we get. It is in how much we give away to the Lord. I'm tempted to share a story of a man of God I deeply admire. I've read his books. I'm like a disciple of his writings. Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was born after the mother had uh, given birth to four different girls. And the mother made a vow that, Lord, if you'll give me a son, because in their culture, if you don't have a son, you are not as good. Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. And Roshamani shares how when he grew up, he was such an exemplary student. By the time he was around 14, 16, he could write editorials for national newspapers of China. And he was gifted. None could beat him in class. And when he turned 17, he was already being marked as the next big thinker and big leader in China. Then something happened. The Lord showed up and said, you are given to me. You have to serve me. And for so many years, it was a painful decision for him to make, to give up his intellect and to give up his glory of being the greatest that China was yet to see. And the man had to surrender. And by the time he was 21, he began writing beautiful books that have shaped Christian history in the recent times. And when I began to read about Wachmani, when I began to read these things, I was in the exact same place. The place of surrendering absolutely to the will of God. Not to be known for anything other than for the Lord Jesus. I tell you people the truth. Life is not about you making a living. Life is about you yielding completely to Jesus. Maybe you are not called to full-time ministry, but you are called to give up that anger. You are called to give up that priority that is apart from the Lord Jesus and His glory. I beg you, in the view of what we have had this night, begin the journey of surrender. Begin the journey of saying, yes, Lord, have your will. Have your way in me. By the time Watchman is dying in prison, at the age of 68, after being locked up for 20 good years, he had no son, he had no daughter. His wife had been taken away because of the, what we call, cultural revolution under Mao Zedong. And he died looking like a fool, looking like a failure. But if you go to the Western world today, no man in history is respected for his writings in the Western world like Watchman Nee. A man who had no college degree, a man who never went to Bible school, yet all the theologians stand and salute him because he learned things as he surrendered to God. The second story I'm reminded about is, you can look it up on the internet. It is called the Seven Cambridge Brothers or Friends. These were men in England who were in Cambridge University the days when Cambridge was Cambridge. 
And they had such a brilliant and such a great intellectual future. Before they finished campus, they all got saved dramatically. And the Lord gave them a choice. To either finish and go to their various profession, medicine and law and everything, or to go and serve God as missionaries in China. It was a tough one. But eventually they took up that challenge from the Holy Spirit. And they sailed to China. To the chagrin of their parents and their relatives and everybody. They gave it all up after all the years in Cambridge to go to China. When China was such a dangerous place to do missionary work. And they labored there for so many years to their death. Without so much fruit coming out. After they were dead, missionary societies began now to flood China in answer to the prayer they have prayed for many years. When we look at greatness, we can look at it from an earthly perspective or from an heavenly perspective. And I wrote to my friends, some of them in the United States, I told them, guys, let's remember our vows we made in high school. Let's go read this seven Cambridge Brothers story and renew our vows to live for Jesus. I don't know where you are. I don't know where the Lord may be taking you next. But one thing I know for sure. The moment the Lord prepares to lift you and bless you, He will always demand that you give your soul up. Now, as she has told us, the danger with not giving your soul up is that you have to do the keeping and the sustaining and the protecting and the covering of your soul. You have to do the job of keeping it safe. You have to do the shielding and the fending and the feeding. And when I was coming up to this altar, the Lord was speaking to me, was telling me, hey, most of them in this crowd, they are tired. Because of things that are not working and not happening. Because their souls are yet to find rest. The Bible says, as we know, in Matthew, I believe, uh, is it 11? Come unto me, all those who are weary. And the Bible says, so that you may find rest for your souls. A restful soul is a soul that has been given up to Jesus. Not just by saying, Jesus, you are my Savior, no. But when Jesus places his finger on that soft spot of your soul, you give it up. We want to see greatness, but greatness has always been born out of brokenness. Greatness has always been conceived out of the place of fracture. It is when Jacob began to limp, when he became Israel. Before he was limping, he was just a thief called Jacob. But when he began to limp because the Lord had broken him, now he was on his way to becoming the greatest nation on earth. And he had no idea. I love it when God blesses me and I have no idea. When I'm a walking legend and I have no idea. I love it when we come to the place we are unconsciously successful and we are not even aware of it. The true power, the true glory happens when we have no idea. Why don't we have an idea? Because we have been killed to the will of God. We have been dead in surrender. And I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some people here. As I begin to prepare to share the third story that the Lord put in my heart to share with you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and is telling you, surrender. Give it up. Give it up to praying till people call you names. Give it up to praying and fasting till people think you have lost your mind. Give it up and try the altar. See what the altar will produce for you. A man whom I love, I was writing to him the other day. And I hope he will respond because the, 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 the Lord made the connection. Rick Joyner, the Lord showed him a vision one time of a cemetery. And in this cemetery, before he saw it, there were many skyscrapers surrounding this cemetery. And in these skyscrapers were huge activities going on, 
Suddenly, a mighty wind and flood came and all these skyscrapers were swept down. And everything and everyone in those skyscrapers was destroyed. It was like a tsunami. And suddenly, one by one, the survivors began to emerge out of the rubbles and to stand as a team. And Jesus suddenly appeared. When Jesus appeared, he called them one by one and he said, Come. And he had a sword in his right hand. And he pierced their hearts. And some could die within two minutes because the sword had pierced their hearts. Some could take 20 minutes. Others could take two weeks. Others could take two years. Some even 20 years. But that is the vision he saw. All these people who had survived were pierced in their hearts. And Jesus was trying to kill them. And immediately who died were taken to the cemetery. The one who took two minutes could be taken to the cemetery. The one who took two weeks, cemetery. The one who took two years, cemetery. The one who took 20 years, cemetery. And the problem with that death and burial is that the hours you took to die is the hours you took to resurrect. So the one who had said, yes, Lord, just kill me, just destroy whatever you are destroying, within two minutes of his death, he could be back from the grave. After two minutes. The one who struggled with the Lord for two years. Could come back after two years. After waiting for all these people. To resurrect. The Lord now showed Rick Joyner the army. That had gathered before him. And the Lord Jesus told Rick Joyner. Something I'll never forget. He told him that. These men. Were the founders of those big enterprises. You saw falling. And because. These enterprises were burst out of their souls and their strength and their ideas. They are to die. Now they are going back to do the same thing. Only this time round, none of it will be destroyed. None of it will be ever brought down. Because now they carry with them the glory of resurrection. The Lord is sending some of you back to the same place of failure. But he's sending you back with resurrection power. The sooner you surrender completely to his will, the better. The Lord is sending you some of you back to the same spot, the same industry, the same man, the same woman, the same neighborhood. But now when you go back totally surrendered, there will be no destruction. There will be no death. Lastly, before we begin to minister. One time I was doing my book and the Lord took me in the spirit. And I saw a young boy about 15 years lying on the altar about to be killed. And before he lay down on the altar, the boy had decided, I am ending my life by surrendering to my God. This boy was Isaac. And the moment uh, Abraham was ready to kill him, Isaac also was ready to die. We are not told in the scripture that Isaac was fighting. Are we told? No. Isaac was not fighting. And Isaac lay there, ready to die. When the lamb appeared and Isaac rose up, I saw, as the Lord showed me, a shadow following Isaac. And the rest of his life, Isaac went wherever he went with this shadow. Whenever he met his enemies, this shadow was there. Whenever he went into business, this shadow was there. Whenever he tried anything in life, this shadow was there. Whenever he was making any kind of negotiation, this shadow was there. And the Lord spoke to me as I was watching in that vision. That men are thinking they are meeting Isaac, but they are meeting a shadow, which is the glory of resurrection. So Isaac could try to do business and you try to oppose him. But what you are opposing is death and resurrection itself. No wonder those who oppose Isaac came to nothing. Men could try to steal from him, but they are stealing from a man who carries death and resurrection. And the Lord spoke to me and told me in that vision, there is no greater covering to have as a Christian than the covering of resurrection. When you are no longer holding the mic as I'm holding it for anything other than for Jesus. 
When you are raising children no longer for you but for Jesus, when you are no longer going to work just to make money but you are going for Jesus, they try to fight you. They fight the resurrection behind you. They try to stop you and they are stopping the resurrection behind you and they cannot do it. I hope now you understand why after Jesus had resurrected, walls could not stop him. He was too smooth for those walls. When Jesus now resurrected, the gravity could not hold him down. Why? This was a sign to us that the day we die, there are walls that will not be able to stop us. The day we die and we resurrect back in his will, there are forces from the heavens that will no longer be able to stop us. People of God, listen to me. Some of you are carrying very childish fears. I call them childish fears because when you die, there are things you die to fearing. You can no longer fear some things when you know that you have faced death and resurrection by surrendering to the will of God. I see Christians praying prayers out of fear because they know the stakes in their flesh are still too high. Their flesh is yet to die. I know of men who are my friends. They wake up and if they feel like going to a particular nation, they will pack their bags and begin walking. Why? There were days to strategize. They gave up their strategies to follow God blindly. And the Lord is using them around the world. We can lay hands on you to rebuke fear. But there are fears that death is what will take away from you. We can lay hands to rebuke your enemies and say, Lord, fight his battles. But there are some battles. Your death and resurrection, as you surrender to Jesus, will fight for you. Oh, Karamazia. I pray tonight that in this assembly, men and women will go back to their families, but they will carry resurrection power. But as men look at your family, they will no longer just see a family. They will see a shadow over your family. They will see a glory and a covering over your family. That when those trying to stand against your family try to stand, they will be standing against death and resurrection itself. Paul could now dare men to say, come if you want to come. Jesus could now say in John 16.33, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing on me. There are moments to fight your enemies. There are moments to tell them, come. If you think you have legs, come. If you think you have a ground you can stand on, come and stand. Let's see if you'll stand. And there is a boldness that comes on a man who has surrendered to Jesus. There is a boldness that comes on a woman who has surrendered to Jesus. There is a boldness about tomorrow. Those who have died to Jesus, courage. But as I finish... Your death is not my death. Your resurrection is not my resurrection. I know what I have to die to and what I still die to every day. I don't know about you. Some of you have to die to your looks. Some of you, you have to die to your career. Some of you have to die to your intellect. Some of you have to die to your emotions. Whatever it is to die to, it is your weapon God is giving you. That moment when you surrender, God is giving you a weapon that your enemy cannot duplicate. You know, every time I watch the president walk in the guard of honor, some people are just seeing a guard of honor. Me, I'm seeing something more sinister. Do I tell you what I see? I see a man walking in the mouth of guns. Suppose there is one lunatic of an officer <laughs> who says, take him down, this fool. And he decides to shoot him. I know some of you just think, Oh God, oh la la, this guy is great. This guy is commanding the armies. But me, I'm seeing tongues. Manned not by his relatives. <laughs> but by soldiers, some of who smoke bang. <laughs> and all these guns are pointed at him as he walks through them. But why is he confident? Do you know why? There's a day like some of you, he took the Bible. Hmm? And he said, I, so and so, I swear, 
for the sake of this republic, I will do everything. And the more he gave his soul to the republic, the republic now can give him back its own soul. The republic can pay taxes to keep him safe. The republic now can sustain him. Lift your right hand and say, Lord, I give you my soul. I give you my heart. Take it. Defend it. Fight for it. Pray for it. Jesus, I give you everything. Protect my everything. Because I give you my everything. Those with children, say after me, Jesus, I give you my children. Fight for them in a way I will never fight. Provide for them in ways I will never provide. Defend them in ways I will never defend them. Lord, I surrender them to you. And Father, I pray for their careers. I pray for their callings. I pray for their families. Bring them to the place of resurrection power. A place of undivided loyalty. So that they can see the profit that comes with loyalty. The profit that comes with the surrender. 